when you find that many inconsistencies, you aren't sure of of what's real or not anymore. It's just that the papers have no internal <laughs> consistency at all. It's uh, alternative statistical facts. <laughs> don't don't do that. No, no, not even not even Trump illusions are permitted today. Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo, and I'm here with James Heathers from Northeastern University. How are you, James? Oh, I am well, Daniel. How are you? Good, good. Just came back from a uh, ski trip in the mountains, being very, very Norwegian and doing all the things. I saw. I saw you are you are adopting the status of uh, what's full in Norwegian. Uh, met. And what's half? Half. There you go. You are yeah. making the transition from Ulfharing to Metharing. <laughs> yeah, so I hopefully got those uh, those translations right. Uh, but yeah, so uh, if not, a- uh, if you speak Norwegian, feel free to write into us at. Uh... <laughs> no, just <laughs> but- just criticize Dan on your chosen social media of choice for his quasi-racist refusal to learn your complicated, beautiful language. <laughs> what about you, James? What's been happening? Uh, Donald Trump has started running the country. That's what's been happening. Um, yeah. I've never had to have so many political conversations in my life. So no, that's I'm... obviously it's it's obviously not ideal. But um, also, I think if I have to talk about it one more time right now, I'm going to self harm because now... every conversation I've had with everyone since well for a week now since for Friday last has been about this. And I, s- I know it's not it's not something you're supposed to get sick of, of, of just just <laughs> saying, because obviously it's going to be a, an ongoing problem to say the least, but we have to talk about something else because it's killing me. Yeah, yeah, it's it's I've I've seen there's been a lot of uh, a big push for the scientists march on Washington as well and you're in sort of the middle of of, of Boston an academic hub is there a lot of talk about that and people heading in? Uh, yes, there's been a great deal of chat about this. I've been sent uh, various things by various people. I don't know if there will be satellite. Uh, well, I nearly, I nearly <laughs> said, I nearly used the scientific term and said meetings. Meetings, <laughs> like yeah. a, Col- like we are like it's a satellite. Co- yes, it will be. A, it will be one of those uh, uh, a formal open air colloquia. <laughs> <laughs> Now I just can't wait. Yeah, I think scientists the, um, obviously are furious, so and the, with, with justified reasons. Yeah, it's um, yeah. So we'll, we'll keep an eye on that. But uh, yeah, it's got a lot of momentum. Uh, this uh, scientists march on Washington, but we're not uh, we're not talking Trump today. No, we're actually, we, we're actually we talking, can't. No, no, we can't. But we're talking a. Um, uh, it's actually a bit of a follow up from a topic that we spoke about with Robin Cock two episodes ago. Yes, uh, it is. Now, now there was a there was a blog post that came out that we were that we were speaking on, um, which was the grad student who didn't say no from mm. a lab, uh, which does which, sound like if you just consider the title by itself has a certain kind of erotic novel feel. To yeah, it. yeah. You Considering how many professors have walked that particularly dingy path, <laughs> unfortunately, unfortunately, but. Um, yeah, this, this blog post, it actually became, a, some people raise it as a lesson in p-hacking and uh, also issues around work-life balance. But when it came to um, all the practices that were described, uh, the uh, the author was actually looking at this is the way that we do science and a lot of people uh, criticized him and uh, he didn't seem to think there was any uh, there was any issue 
with um with a lot of the approaches he he was taking with you know trying a few different variables, trying a few different analyses. Let's do analyses to see what works. Now, what happened with this blog post was um he actually no- noted that as a result of this grad student who didn't say no, there were four outcomes. There were four papers that came out as a result. Now, what tends to happen is when there has been uh, questionable research practices or QRPs, uh, is that uh, quite often there are, this is, coincides with errors in papers. And uh, a bunch of, of, of researchers um, got together and actually looked at these four papers. Now, these researchers were uh, Tim Van Der Zee, uh, Jordan, who is a friend of the show, regular, uh, regularly sends in uh, comments and suggestions, and uh, a Nick yes, Brown. Yes, like talk about different stuff. Which is <laughs> <laughs> always my favorite suggestion, frankly. And yeah, yeah Nick. Yeah, and, we and have Nick. Nick on it sometime. We we should we should. And uh, Nick, who you uh, w- w- were a co-author with on a paper on the Grim paper, which was uh, which was uh, one of the methods that was used in this paper, which was looking through these four publications for potential reporting errors and inconsistencies. Yeah. Now, uh, that's, all, that all seems reasonable so far. I mean, you, yeah. you, you introduced that as if people already can read your mind, but um, that's perfectly okay. <laughs> it's, so, a, it's a reasonable description of the narrative, and that brings us to right now. So what about right now? So the results of this study uh, and the, the, the paper, or well, the preprint actually, was, uh, was titled Statistical Heartburn, an Attempt to Digest Four Pizza Publications from the Cornell Food and Brand Lab. Now, points for, for two puns within the title. Um, we, all, we all know I'm a fan of the, uh, the, the, the title pun. But they, the authors here, Van Der Zee, um, Anaya, and Brown, uh, found potentially 150, 150 errors in these uh, set of four papers now let's say let's say inconsistencies instead of okay yeah inconsistencies because Uh, this is something that i have to with the the grim and associated tests and everything something's something's not wrong when it's inconsistent yeah it's not necessarily inconsistent when it's wrong the point is that any statistical test that you have has its own internal structure if you have a certain number of people you have a certain degree of freedom if they Mm. all have scores that exist you will have a certain means that are or aren't possible uh certain standard deviations can and cannot exist for any given sample and then when you start comparing multiple studies from the same data set various descriptions will or won't uh have a kind of internal consistency Mm. so inconsistencies are what you look for if you're saying i'm I'm skeptical that this happened as described i wish to know more about the internal workings of this paper and how the the, how the data is really under the hood you use inconsistency tests because mm. uh, if it was, you know, if Grimm remembers this with the granularity-related inconsistency of means, it was granularity-related error of means. It would be Grimm and much less funny. <laughs> so I would have probably come up with a different acronym. So inconsistencies, one fifty. Yeah, I, th- I think that, I think that's a good way. Of, well, um... yeah, obviously a hundred and fifty. Con- considering when we wrote the original paper and we found four or five, and we went, well, hang on a minute. 
This is this is a little bit squirrely. What's going on? We need to write to this person and try to identify what the source of the inconsistencies is. When you find 150, well, what what do you what do you think about? I mean, that as a a number. It, it may be. It, it's not probably absolute. It's it's going to be about that. The, the problem <laughs> is, but when you find that many inconsistencies, you aren't sure of of what's real or not anymore. It's just yeah. that the papers have no internal <laughs> consistency at all. It's uh, alternative statistical facts. <laughs> don't don't do that. No, so, no, not even not even Trump illusions are permitted today. I, I saw this number of one hundred and fifty. Now, I think in the average paper that I publish, I probably have about maybe twenty sets of statistics that have one hundred and fifty um, potential inconsistencies or one hundred and fifty inconsistencies within within four papers. Hmm. Was was pretty big and. Uh, I think, um, yeah, it's uh, and to have that matched with this other blog post where we can actually see the strategies that are used within this lab, or at least, um, at least from the uh, from the from the PI of this lab, it uh, you put two and two together and you wonder, well, what's uh, what's going on with these papers? Well, and yeah, and, uh, what do you uh, what do you think is going on, Daniel? Well. <laughs> It's hard to say because, once again, what we have here is inconsistencies. And I know within this paper that um, the the PI, they, they reached out to the PI to go, um, okay, we found these inconsistencies. Um, can we have a look at your data? Reasonable request. Now, I saw in the footnotes of this paper uh, that at first uh, the, the response was, oh, uh, you know, oh, so you want to run a replication? Um, okay, cool. Run a replication. Um, and then the the second and the response was like no we don't want to, we don't want, we don't want to do that. Um, we well, I should mention I should mention it at this point in time that uh, I don't know Tim, but obviously I know uh, Jordan and Nick. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of them have a long standing interest in pizza based research. Pizza based research. So it wasn't a re- it wasn't a replication. And the the other alternative that was offered by the authors was um to which, which is something was would a bit of an odd approach, but maybe it's more common in nutrition or diet research, is to enter into an agreement with them to license the data to use in their own original analysis. So that was the uh, other thing uh, it's more it's more common when there's commercial interests in mm. any form of research. So it's the the closer you get to, uh, it's not uncommon management and economics. If you've got a data set, uh, some people don't want to simply give their data away. It needs to be released. Or it could just, it could just be a, a general protocol that it needs yeah. to be released under a proviso. Mm. So you know you're not. It's not really. It's not really open science. <laughs> yeah yeah so the, the the author had had an opportunity to uh to um present the data so so the authors could actually look through and see what happened but uh they, they didn't um send the data so that that couldn't actually happen but they had the opportunity there um yeah so i mean it's, it's pretty odd because I, I remember in your paper you found that in 50 percent of the papers you looked at at least one there was at least one inconsistency yep um now to me that seems fairly reasonable um not not great and uh, and usually this kind of stuff was stuff that could easily be addressed and wasn't a major issue 
Um, but to have this uh, this degree of inconsistencies was just it's just uh, it's just massive. Mm. Yeah, it um my my overall estimate now is if you if you go through and testable papers, you'll find an inconsistent result in one in two. Mm-hmm. You'll find inconsistent. You'll find a pattern of serious inconsistencies you can't explain in one in five. Now, where are most of them from? Most of them are. This is again. I'm speaking from my experience. We opened the box on a lot of these things. Specifically, we have eighty people in this experiment. Four of them were the kind of soft-headed undergraduate tits who can't fill out a form properly, and they missed they missed enough questions that the data became unusable in section B and section D. So when we come to report this analysis, we just go, we had 80 participants, N equals 80. And then the rest of the statistics the whole way through are inconsistent with that for the simple reason that in individual comparisons between section A and section B, section B and section C, section A and section D, the amount of paired the amount of the amount of pairs that you have changes as people variously don't complete each section. Now, fully reporting that, especially when it doesn't really matter. I mean, you had eighty people, but you only have the degrees of freedom of seventy-seven. Oh, woe is me! What happened? Well, you know, there's there was two errors. Mm. Oh no! What will the neighbors say? So I've I've had this I've had this myself. I lost it. I had a file completely corrupted once. I realized uh there was absolutely nothing I could do to pull this one particular file back because I didn't have the original files, but I had the export files. And one of the export files had a great big fat error in it, and it was just sort of uh, after a certain point it was just zeros of some kind of write error somewhere. Mm. And I realized that uh, if the data had been in whole units, that would have been, if the way that it was reported would have been a grim error of mine. Oh, I just said error. We should stop doing that. Um, so it can be extremely benign. And I think a lot of the time they are extremely mm. benign. The problem is when you have, there's there's a few things that go together to to raise questions that are more profound than, Oh, that doesn't make a hundred percent sense at all. Uh, a obviously a pattern of inconsistencies between experiments or like co comparisons where things should be the same, where you can't explain it in light of what actually happened. Hmm. Um, then of course you have inconsistencies in places where it just happens to help the results. Get over our ludicrously arbitrary value. You know, the significance by which all men must fall to a knee. <laughs> um and there's a there's a few other things as well. As if they're if they're if all of the errors are very strong and confined to one particular place. Obviously there's a problem. Hmm. Um, so you may, for instance, you have like condition A, everything worked. Condition B, absolutely nothing worked whatsoever. And condition C, well, we checked it and, and condition A is all inconsistent and condition B is completely fine. You know, well, there's some, 
that doesn't mean you did those exactly the same way both times. Mm. It can't be a copying if you're if you're doing something twice. It's very unlikely to be some kind of transcription error. And you find you find a few things like that as well. You know that people had to at some point in time they had to physically write the number down. They rounded up the wrong way. I mean, it's goofy, but it happens. It's mm. it's of it's of no consequence whatsoever. So, when you have a hundred and fifty. What you're dealing with is most likely, this is I'm now, I'm speculating. What you're dealing with is most likely a shit show. You've got a data set and you have kicked it in an alleyway over and, and, and over this, and over again. we know again. this is true as well, thanks to the blog post. Yeah, I mean, that's why they thought to look in the first instance. This is why it came up as a as something that... that felt like it was investigable mm. because the way that this blog post originally described the procedure in the data was well we tried something and that didn't work and we tried something else and that didn't work and we tried something else so, and that didn't work so and we tried something else it's... and that didn't work and when we got to about plan oh what was it q oh no that's yeah. an exaggeration it was only j when we got to plan j um we suddenly found out that there was insight between this and this if you hold this constant and you threw this out, etc., etc. Now, if you have observations like that and you do multiple different analysis pathways and you're not careful, and then you take the data set and you do it again from scratch for a completely different paper, you have different exclusions. You, I mean, you have uh, different degrees of freedom. You have mm-hmm. different analysis methods. Uh, you, you have uh, different values that you decide are or are not okay. You know? I mean, all this stuff about pizza. Oh, I ate six pieces and then I reported that it was all awful. Um, well, obviously, that's not a serious answer. You need to take that out and you leave it in the next time and you go, oh, but it powers the entire result. Well, maybe it's real. We'll leave it in. Yeah. It is... It is most consistent with, I'm not saying this is what happened, I'm saying it's most consistent with the 16th century inquisition torture level scolds bridal kind of treatment (laughs) of a data set where you've, you've, you've you've just punished it until it's, it's returned something that is it makes perfect sense. Mm. And one one of the central things that will always happen in in research like this is it's never the 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 nature by the, the nature by which it's theoretically driven is never sort of it's never there's like strong strong pizza based presuppositions. It's not that. <laughs> Your pizza prior. Yeah. <laughs> Pizza prior picked a pack of pickled pea ba- values. Going um, basing uh, here. It, <laughs> don't don't start that. <laughs> no, there are two rules for today: no Trump, no Bays. No Bays, no Trump. <laughs> no Bays, no Trump. There's two things I'm sick of arguing about. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, look when when you when you are doing something that's completely atheoretical. It's not a matter of like it has to fit a certain series of preconceptions. It has to fit a theory. You just take it and you knock it around until something falls out of it. Mm. And then it doesn't. Ha- and if it doesn't have to fit with previous research, if you don't have 
a, a really strong series of uh, prior conclusions. It's not. It's not, you, you don't have this generative area of research that's making a really hard theories, predictive theories. Mm. You get to do whatever the hell you like. It straight up doesn't matter. Mm. So, were you surprised by any of this, Daniel? Well, given the blog post and how we know how this lab approaches, at least the analysis of this particular research project, uh, I mean, I was surprised with the uh, the number 150 across these four papers. Mm. Um, I would have, I would have expected a few, um, but to get uh, this enormous number, yeah, it it it's it's surprising to to to, to see this. So. Um, you know, and one thing I noticed was a lot of people were were tweeting. the the um, The PI is actually quite active on Twitter and on um, social media and blogging and so forth. Going, what's mm. going on? You know, th- these are some pretty uh, some pretty stark inconsistencies. But uh, he's just tweeting along as if nothing's happening. Um, going along with his research and, and and doing his thing. So it is a bit odd that um, you know there was there isn't at least an acknowledgement. There was an acknowledgement from memory from the original blog post um, where he wrote uh, an update or a response to it, but there's been no uh, no response here. So we'll have to we'll have to wait and see. What about you? Mm. Were you surprised? Not at all. Not at all. You get a a, a big data set where you over ask questions this is something i mean this annoyed me 15 years ago in psychology you're sitting in a room like oh you need to fill out all seven of these scales and three of them are all about the same thing you know i got three separate anxiety inventories like i don't know how many ways to tell you that i'm i've uh, i had beer for lunch and i don't feel very anxious don't don't put that down don't put that down so (laughs) if you if you collect a lot of stuff i mean a lot of data and the data is probably has some like strong internal interrelationships but you just ask a million questions and then you'd knock it about enough like 150 yeah that's four papers and they're all stuffed with reporting data like it makes a difference mm. you know all these different conditions these very slightly different conditions it's all it's all stacked up like cordwood and none of it means a goddamn thing uh, and that's in the absence of <laughs> that's in the absence of uh, errors or inconsistencies or whatever else. Yeah. Look, psychologists uh, have spent a few years now, and not long. It's it's obviously it's it's not overdue at all. Um, they've spent a, a good few years talking about problems with research practice and problems with replication and problems with other associated issues within open science and uh, good practices and questionable research practices and so on. And something that they don't realize because people very rarely do uh, is that other research areas within the health sciences or the social sciences more broadly are way worse. (laughs) Way worse. If you want to see simple things done so badly that you just go, "Ah, it's 2017, how? How have you done this? How do you get to call yourself the, 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 the thing? How do you work at a university? How do you work at a research institution? How do you have a doctorate? (laughs) <laughs> Who are you? 
What swamp did you crawl out of? Why are you the assistant professor of allied nutrition? Why you 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 can't you can't say professor? You've got more in common with the professor of the the Pokemon. You're a goon. <laughs> this is terrible. If you want to see stuff like that, you just go into go into the other uh, uh, go into the other health sciences. Uh, you can see some amazingly bad research in nutrition. There's some amazingly bad research in exercise physiology. And well, speaking uh, of exercise physiology, um, you saw and you sent me the study in uh, the university in the UK where the researchers accidentally gave research participants the equivalent of 300 cups of coffee in exercise uh, science. Oh, yeah. I'd forgotten. This... I did not have that in mind as I was just starting to get upset about something. I thought that that's is... where you were... <laughs> no, this, I wasn't this, going there at all. This, this, I, was going, was in... I had several minutes of complaining <laughs> lined up. I'd this, forgotten this... all about that. Uh, sorry, there have been some quite busy days. Go on, uh, tell, tell the nice people. This is, uh, this is interesting. And by interesting, I mean horrifying. Yeah, so this was a uh, research study in exercise science. Now, it's quite common to, to look at the effects of caffeine on exercise performance. And within this particular study, um, people were being administered uh, 0.3 grams of caffeine. Um, not too much. Three, about 300 about milligrams. 300 milligrams. Uh, so that, that's the equivalent of about three three cups of coffee and, and looking at the, at the effects of some, of some sort of exercise it's, outcome. Yeah, it's, it's one and a half strong what I call trucky tablets. Trucky tablets. Well, that's what they're for. You can yeah. buy them at a gas station. A lot of them, the standardized ones used to be 200 milligrams. It's one and a half of those. Now, I'm very caffeine tolerant. I have a coffee mug I can fit my entire fist in and I have big hands. Yes. I make I make a whole pot of coffee in the morning and it doesn't last. If I have one of those tablets, I'm buzzing. If you're an 80 kilo, 19 year old sports science student with no bitterness in your heart, 300 milligrams is a lot. Mm. 300 hundred milligrams. <laughs> On the other that hand. Is- an enormous amount. Now, now, for I think I should say, um, last report is that, um, of, of course, um, from memory, the students were hospitalised, but they've fully recovered. Yes, um, and there, there wasn't any long term. Which, which I might add, they were extremely lucky to be. Do you know what the LD fifty of caffeine is for a normal person? Ballpark around 12 to fifteen grams. Wow. So I've good. heard I've heard of people uh, actually dying from being getting uh, getting a hundred, a uh, hundred grams. Yeah. Well, that's obviously insane. Sorry, sorry, ten. No, sorry, ten. Ten grams. My apologies. Ten. Some grams. people are extremely caffeine sensitive, so it's entirely it's not outside the realm of possibility. I mean, the LD fifty is a probability. These are young, extremely fit people, which is a good thing. Because they lived through this experiment. So, mm. yeah, uh, the university owed, I 100- think it was civil damages, £400,000. That'll, yeah. that'll put a dent in your research budget. Now, yeah, I, I, think it's really, I think it really speaks to, from, from the reports, uh, it was a rounding error because the, uh, <coughs> the students who were running or administering the, um, the drug... Uh, it, was, it was in powder form, and I think they were doing it. Um, the way they were calculating it was on a mobile phone, and that's how they calculated how much to give. And they put the decimal in the wrong place, and by doing that, 
um, because the decimal was in the wrong place. That's why they got uh, an order of magnitude much, much higher of what they were supposed to be given. And the error primarily comes down to that. But I think a lot of it comes down to um, poor planning. Uh, for instance, when we're doing pharma trials, everything is packaged in the GCP certified pharma facility. We get every single drug vacuum packaged and all that kind of stuff and it's there and we have participant 001 this is the drug they get at this thing um refrigerated at this thing check the temperature every single day and write down the temperature to make sure there's no fluctuations like we go through a lot of stuff but it's important because you need this this type of stuff otherwise you know mistakes like this happen Mm -hmm. here's the part i can't get over how big is 300 milligrams of stuff I have a, much... a, a a tiny scale in my kitchen, which is you always feel very guilty buying one from a homeware store because they think you're selling drugs. But <laughs> mine is for measuring things like uh, yeast for small baking tasks when you need exactly a gram and a half of something or for molecular gastro stuff if you need exactly eight grams of this and exactly 750, et cetera, et cetera. So 300 milligrams, 0.3 of a gram is a very small amount of powder. Mm. Uh, 30 grams is two tablespoons. Big difference. Yeah, so uh, if you're just using raw stuff, then that's an enormous difference. And the thought immediately occurs, what if it's mixed with something else, a flavor, a sugar, a filler, etc.? That's even worse. Because then at that point in time, you go, well, oh, oh, you know, this has got sugar. This has got a filler. We only need a certain amount of, of this. Um, we said now you need 100 times. It's like making Gatorade where you just take the tub of Gatorade. The tub and put, add some water into it. And, and put, in, put in an egg cup full of water and stir <laughs> it up until it's a sort of a, a, a bright pink road tar. And yeah. then eat it with a spoon. I mean, it's 30 grams of anything. That's a dry powder. How did they? Was it? Was it IV? Uh, was it? Yes. Was it aerosol? So, was it, it, it stuffed was... up their ass by horse syringe? It's just. It's one of those things where you think, how in this day and age have you managed to do this? You are so lucky you didn't kill those people. Mm. How did? How did that happen? It's a monumental failure of oversight. But also, I mean, even if you're the most basic undergraduate, and trust me, when I did when I did the, the my first masters and I started uh, doing research in exercise physiology, I knew a lot of sports science students. Um, didn't know the world needed that many PE teachers, but apparently we're out there minting them. That's perfectly okay. Good on you. I'm glad you're having fun. But. I wouldn't let you near me with a, a, a big bag or something that could kill me. Mm. How the hell? It's. I hope. I see. I hope they're being pursued with a. I hope they're being pursued with a civil suit. The university. I hope these people are. I feel really. I mean, it's, it's very far from our collective responsibility. But imagine. Imagine every time something like this happens, I feel like this is a problem for research culture stuff because these stories are so well reported Mm. there's every time there's a phase one or a phase two trial or something and something goes wrong there's full blown written 
You know, I could have read about it in the Atlantic. I had some one idiot researcher somewhere. And then people turn up to your experiments like, oh, it's not going to go wrong like in. And then they know the example because it's reported all over the world. The idea of scientists doing something that qualifies in the mad scientist sort of <laughs> lexicon area is a great story. It's just I, I can't I can't countenance how that how that particular thing happened. Mm. Um, but yeah, I I don't know if that's a valid segue into uh, sports science journals report insufficient and embarrassing statistics, <laughs> <laughs> but they do. So there's that. Well, uh, we'll uh, we'll take a, a quick break and we'll be back uh, talking about how ways that we can actually fix uh, the reporting of these inconsistencies in papers. Welcome back to Everything Hurts, and uh, today we're talking about inconsistencies in reporting statistics in papers. Uh, but before we get back into it, got to give a few shout-outs to um, got a lot of uh, uh, a lot of interest in our last episode, which was uh, looking at the manifesto for re- reproducible science. Uh, hmm. Some of the some of the authors of, of the paper actually got in contact with us over Twitter. And, always um, always dangerous because they can point point out exactly every every place where. Um, <laughs> One or both of us, but let's be honest, probably me, has made some kind of horrible and unjustified distortion. So well, I, apologi- one... I apologize completely and in advance and in retrospect for all of my unjustifiable distortions. Well, there, there was one thing that um, one thing that we were talking about was the use of uh, of open science practices in promotion and new jobs. And we, I think, from memory, we mentioned, oh, it hardly ever happens. You know, uh, less than five percent. But then the uh, the authors of the paper, uh, both uh, Marcus Monafo uh, and Chris Chambers, got in contact, uh, saying that um, yeah, we uh, both of us have actually used um, these uh, open science practices in recent job adverts. Good. Um, yeah. So that, that no, that's don't, don't don't get us wrong. We we both thoroughly delighted that that's the yeah. Case. I think, I think it's, it's fantastic. A, these are these are obviously the good guys. And these two uh, and Moz. And Marcus actually posted, I'm going to post this in the show notes, um, uh, their publicly available lab handbook, where they also talk about uh, how they implement open science practices within their lab. So that was really cool. Um, that, hmm. uh, that's, okay. uh, yeah, so that was nice. And uh, yeah, so thanks to everyone who, um, who was tweeting about the episode, um, got a lot of, uh, lot of lot of listens and a lot, a lot of feedback, which was great. Uh, even had uh, Neuroskeptic tweeted out about the episode as well um so uh yeah that was fantastic and uh yeah if if you're a new listener make sure you subscribe to the podcast and um add us to whatever subscription service you use to uh to listen to your podcasts but uh thank you yes we we also had yeah and keep sending your suggestions we had uh emir Fendik, who is a, a long time listener of the show who actually suggested this very topic that we're talking about today uh so thanks emir for mm. uh for the for the suggestion i didn't that even is... know that good on yeah. you Amir. nice one yeah man. thank you yeah so um that was great and i told him we're covering it soon and we are covering it right now that's so, quite soon yeah that, that qualifies was, uh, that... That was yesterday that he uh, that he sent the tweet. Oh, like, the 21st century really has something going for it, doesn't it? 
and as long he, as we he, don't he, set it all on fire. Here's the tweet. This could be a great topic for Hertz Podcasts. James can go wild. Oh, that's obviously a distortion of the truth. Yeah, <laughs> James can go wild. So there you go, permission to to go wild. I um, do not need permission to carry on <laughs> foolishly, sir. Thank you very much. That that so, come that comes as a shop feature. Yeah. <laughs> so th- thank you, uh, thank you for that, and for all your mentions on Twitter, so that more people can uh, can hear about the show. It's great to have uh, new listeners on board. But today we are talking about um, this uh, this recent preprint that came out, which was uh, almost a continuation of what we were discussing a few episodes ago about the grad student who never said no, which led uh, to these four studies, and these four studies were closely looked at. Uh, in, could you call it investigative statistical? Uh, I don't know. I don't know what you would call it. I'm not sure it has a name yet. Um, For re- forensic statistics? It has more in common with the tradition of forensic statistics, which is generally uh, a kind of... It's it's an analogue, traditionally, I think, of forensic accounting. Excuse me. Excuse me for the sirens. As usual, Alston is being invaded by field mice or something. (laughs) And no one in America knows how to set anything on fire quietly. There's always uh, with hysterical sirens. Bless. Hmm. Um. Sorry. What was I saying? Yeah. So. Uh. Yeah. We're talking about this. Uh. This paper. So I think now we want to. I want to pick your brain and think about what are some potential. What are some potential ways that we can actually prevent this from happening from the reporting of uh, of inconsistent statistics. Um, uh, yeah, well, that would be a that would be a lot easier than continually being in the um, continually being in the uh, state of having to uh, <laughs> this state of having to criticize stuff again. Do you know how much? Do you know how much work this skeptical shit is? Because well, I, I had imagine. a few people, I had a few people say, because I, I see, I do some of it, I suppose, when I have time, and I see behind the scenes with other people who want to make sure that research retains a certain quality, also known as sometimes any quality at all. It's so much effort. You have to do a, a great, there's a, a great deal of physical, actual tasks and intercommunication, and you have to tell people, you have to have difficult conversations it would be infinitely better off for everyone if this didn't have to happen. You know? Mm. It's just also, the, the other thing is, it's never going to be seen in the same light as proposing ideas from scratch and doing actual research. It will forever occupy a secondary position of not proposing some kind of propositional knowledge. Because it isn't. It's just, you know, saying that a lot of the stuff that is proposed is so bad as to be not really worth paying any attention to. Mm. The ideal situation is this not is this not actually happening. So, you know, we get an awful lot of our time back. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
what are what are some good what are some good moves? Well, the one thing that I liked that I thought would be broader, broad, more broadly adopted is the twenty-one words. Do you know what I'm talking I've, about? This rings a bell. Of but go on. Okay, it was an idea. It was an idea of Yuri Simonson's. Is it Simonson or Simonson? I don't no idea. It's, it's called a twenty-one word solution. You can uh, you can Google it. Uh, it's uh, Joe Simmons and there's the guys from the Data Colada blog. So I think Joe and Leaf and Yuri. Uh, it's it's basically a short statement that you include in every research paper that you're publishing in the social sciences, etc. And it simply says the, 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 as as much as every analysis that we've conducted is being reported here we didn't hit this with a stick uh we we didn't continue to analyze this until something actually worked um it's 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 a statement essentially of kind of data data transparency i'll just find it for you Okay, mm, and yeah, we'll we'll post this in the show notes as well. There, we report how we determined our sample size, all data exclusions, if any, all manipulations, and all measures in this study. So that obviously that's a statement about research practice rather than analysis. So I'm getting somewhat confused there. But if you are compelled by a journal policy or by an editor to include that that you predetermined your sample size that you didn't take eight variables and then report three because they magically worked that you didn't collect data at six time points but only report the beginning and the end because the ones that the ones in the middle muddied it all up that you didn't sort of you know do 20 observations and then go oh it didn't quite work we'll do another 10 it didn't quite work we'll do another five. Oh, what do you know that works you need to either so if you are stating this and it's an explicit condition you either need to a not do it or b lie and when it's an explicitly stated condition of publication then people know not to do it there's still a huge gap where the awareness of good practice should be when it comes to this stuff. There's still a million people making up a power analysis in retrospect. Uh, we used 15 people because we thought there would be a pretty big effect size. So it turns out that's the right number. <laughs> You're not fooling anyone. You're really not. So, look, if you if you want something that's cheap that you can do straight away mandate people to say all their analyses are reported and then mandate people to say all of their research practice manipulations are reported as well. It'd have to be a bit longer than 21 words. Maybe I could be push it out to 30 or something. But that's your, but that's, that's, that's just the, the fact that every time you send something, there's a, when, when we talk about, when we talk about these things, there's little communities of people going, hang on, this is a real problem. Now, everyone's discovered the internet in the last couple of years, and that's great. But these are not 
I remember learning about this stuff as an undergraduate, and you probably do as well. Certainly, we discuss this as PhD students. Yeah, which is what? Yeah. I don't know, five years ago now, since we we're both actually in the same office working on the same stuff. Yeah. And I could reach the back of your scrawny neck every time you annoy me. <laughs> so it's not this, all of this stuff didn't suddenly pass through a membrane from an alternate reality. It's just acquiring more awareness now. It's the drag factor of things that, the, the systems that previously exist is far bigger than even people go, oh, it's really big. It's going to take a lot of work. It's going to take much more work than a lot of work until mm. people are collectively aware of how research practice has to work. So yeah. one of the best ways to do that is that every time you want to turn something into a manuscript and communicate it to other people, it the 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 even even just reasonable practice parameters are mandated to be stated in the thing mm. somewhere the method probably mm. i think that'll be uh i think that'll be a good inclusion um, well, look that's a start i mean you can't stop people doing it but no. everyone everyone who's doing research can be told by a formal mechanism if you do it that way so i would love to see editors putting their hands up and saying we compel people to report the parameters of good practice. What do now, you think? Yeah, I think I think I think that's definitely a good start, and it's one of those things that, um, practically speaking, it's actually quite easy for journals and for editors to actually start doing this. And um, it it might, like you said, that there might be a bit of drag time when it actually comes up. Uh, but this is a good start, and this is a this is a good solution, and uh, it would stop um, at least some of this happening. Um, now, one thing I was thinking... Well, it would certainly stop our 150-error monumental <laughs> nightmare. You can't, say, you can't say all analyses are reported because then you would have to report statistical plans. Uh, what do we agree on, J? J. Yeah. J, J, J to Q. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and you, you, then you have to report the, the, the analyses, even if it's an appendix, and just to inc include the fact that it actually happened. I like that um, quite often in a PhD thesis, you actually see um, people uh, actually include the analysis and the code and all the things actually did in the appendices. Uh, so that's a good thing, which, which you know, and, and, you know, everything's online now, so there's nothing stopping you from adding all this stuff as supplementary material. OSF, um, you put your code on GitHub. Yes, you can do, yeah. you can do, all, you can do all those things. Um, now, one more practical step that I thought of um, was in order to actually reduce inconsistencies. Now, I was peer reviewing this paper uh, a few months ago, and uh, I forget which journal it was for, but as one of the additional documents that I got with the manuscript, there was also a manuscript check where the, um, the, manu the, the journal had some sort of online system that automatically went through the paper to make sure that all sections were in there. They had some sort of way of checking, was there... Uh, a participant um, information uh, was there was there informed consent there there was a checklist was there an introduction was there a results um, were were the figures of, I don't know how it did it but it basically went through to see did the paper do all these things and there was a report that came along and as a reviewer you could see tick 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 yep these things are all there now I don't understand why we can do exactly the same thing with papers yeah so as uh, either either from the journal end or from the author end, you can actually put your paper through something like Grimmer or something like StatCheck 
and you can actually say to the reviewers or say to the readers of the eventual paper in the appendices, this paper was checked by StatCheck, by Grimmer, whatever system that you use that is most appropriate for your data, and there are no inconsistencies. By doing that, it basically ensures that the author has actually gone through to check that there's no problems, at least when it comes to statistical inconsistencies. Mm. Um, and just by that very act of doing the test, people firstly will be careful, and secondly, if they find an error, then there and there, they can actually fix it and report it. Mm. That is something that's actually quite easy to do, and I don't think any journal would, would have anything against um, having people put that in their supplementary material. They can say in the methods... Having to do less work sounds amazing. <laughs> yeah, and I personally, I with every single paper, with the last few months, I put all my papers before submission through StatCheck. I don't use Likert scale, so it doesn't really... Grimmer doesn't really apply to me, but StatCheck, every single thing I put through, every single paper, there's at least one thing, and it always comes down to a rounding error. But at least for me, I know at least there's not any massive mistakes in my paper, um, which could uh, which would come down to um, uh, transcription errors. Um, yep. now, the, now, the second and related thing is a lot of people actually write up their entire papers within R, uh, or, or even within their method sections, you can use R Markdown. Now, by doing that, um, there, there's no there's no room for transcription errors because you basically do your analysis and all your output directly goes into a Word document or HTML document. So there's no room for error in that sense. So when it comes to transcription errors, R Markdown is also a potential solution here. Hmm. Okay. Of course, you have to use R to start with. But. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so I mean, if, you, if you're confident with R, that's fine. And um, But I, I do think, though, um, you know, actually putting your paper through StatCheck or Grimmer is a good start, at least at least as a sanity check to make sure that you've done no errors yourself. As a reviewer, I do exactly the same thing. I get a paper, first thing, bam, StatCheck. Yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Ah, uh, well, look, there, there, there goes us. We've solved all the world's problems now. Yeah. What should, what should we once, do in our spare time? One, once again, we've uh, <laughs> we've solved it all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can't no. even keep a straight face. Ah, <laughs> uh, we've solved nothing, and no one cares. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll uh, wrap up the show for for today then. Uh, yes, we will. Thank you again for listening. Uh, follow us on Twitter at Hertz Podcast on Facebook as well. Uh, just search Everything Hurts Podcast. Share the podcast with your friends. If you enjoy it, then I'm sure your friends will also enjoy the show. And mm. uh, keep sending in your suggestions as well, just like Amir did for this uh, for this particular podcast episode. Amir. I like Amir. <laughs> Bye for now. <sighs> Bye.